Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Today we have a special message from Pastor Josh Butcher. We, we had uh, a whole thing planned with uh, wedding dresses and suits and a song and videos. Um, and I'm going to post that online for you because uh, I, don't, I don't think I've ever done this here. I know I've never done it here. And this is one of the first times I've ever done it in my life. We're going totally off script today. Um, I believe God has a, a special, specific word to speak um, to us this morning. And so um, there, there's no you version. There's no slides. We'll just have the logo up the whole time. Um, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read, or Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to start uh, in, in chapter 1. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 1. Um, if you have it, say amen. If you're looking over somebody's shoulder, just say, uh, thank you for letting me share your Bible. I didn't bring mine today. And we don't have the, I apologize for not having the, the scriptures on the side. Um, let's all stand. We're going to read the first few verses. Let's all stand to honor the reading of God's word. I told you I was going to do this. And sure enough, we're pulling it out today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. If you ever wonder what God looks like, look at his son. If you ever wonder what the glory of God is like, look at his son. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for speaking to us this morning, God. And I ask that we would see Jesus lifted up in the auditorium. And God, that we would see the glory of God manifested here right in our face. That we would see the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us see Jesus, and in seeing him, let our hearts be changed by his grace. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. As I told you at the beginning of the service, I've been reading the Old Testament now for the last two months. And there's this, there's this refrain in the Old Testament. The people of God would come into the presence of God longing to see the face of God. And yet God would shield himself. Only one man was allowed into the very holiest of holy places. And when he went in, he had to wear uh, specific garments. And he had to go through a whole ritual to make sure that he was cleansed and purified before he went into the presence of God. And so for ages and for centuries, the people of God participated in this ritual where they had to perform a certain way and act a certain way and dress a certain way to come into the presence of God. 
In fact, at the very beginning of the nation of Israel, the, the, the prophet slash leader slash judge Moses asks the very thing that everyone had wanted to ask in Exodus chapter 33. He's having a conversation with God. Now you know that's got to be pretty crazy. Moses is having a one-on-one with the creator of all things. And here's what he says. Moses said to the Lord in Exodus chapter 33 verse 12, if you want to follow along. You can flip there real fast. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's not enough for Moses. Moses wants something more. Moses wants more than just the presence of God. Moses wants more than just an experience with God. Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you asked. Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. So Moses said, we don't just want your presence, but we want, we want your person to go with us. Because how else is the, are, are the nations surrounding us going to know that we are your chosen people, unless not just that we have your presence, but we have your actual person. And God says, I will do that for you. But Moses doesn't stop there. Because Moses isn't just satisfied with the presence of God. And and he's not just satisfied with the person of God going with him. Moses wants something that no other human person had ever experienced before in space and time. Moses said, now show me your glory. This is an audacious request for Moses to dare ask this. Moses the man who, who was raised in, in Pharaoh's home, in, in Pharaoh's court. Moses, who, who had killed people before. Moses, who had, who had sinned against God. Moses, who had led the people of Israel out. Moses says, God, I don't just want your presence. God, I don't just want your presence, or your person. I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. The very essence of of who you are. I want to behold your glory. Verse 19, the Lord responds to him and says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, God said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Moses says, God, I don't just want want your presence to go with us. And I don't just want the, the, the person of God to go with us, to mark us, but I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. 
I want to know you on an intimate level. I want to look into your eyes and I want to see the smile on your face when you look at me. You remember growing up as a little boy or a little girl and you would do something not good, okay? Do something, something bad. Maybe you would take something out of the, uh, the kitchen without asking. Maybe you would steal a snack. Maybe you would um, come home with a bad report card, do something at school. And, and what was the scariest thing that you had to do? You had to look at mom and dad in the face and admit to what you did. You know, that's terrifying to see someone face to face. To look into someone's eyes is an absolutely terrifying moment. Because it's when you look in their eyes that you see more than just the presence that they bring. And when you look into their face, you see more than just their person. When you look into someone's face and you begin to read the, the, the countenance on their face, if they're smiling or if they're sad, you begin to relate on a completely different level. A very, very intimate level. And so when you would come home with a bad report card or when you would come home having, having done something at school that you weren't proud of and you had to look at your, the face of your mom and dad and you had to see the disappointment on their face, that could be a very traumatic moment. But if you did something good, if you got an A on the test... If the teacher wrote a nice note and said, you know, uh, they've been really good this semester and, and their, their behavior has improved and, and they're doing really well in all their assignments and, and they would take that piece of paper and they would look at it and they would look at you and a smile would come on their face. And you would, that's not a moment to be intimidated by. That's not a moment to be scared at. That's a moment where you take in the approval that you see on the face of mom and dad. You see their face and you know they're not angry with you. You know that they're proud of you because you can see it on their face. So much is conveyed by the facial expression that we bear. So much is, is said and communicated by a simple nonverbal facial expression. Approval, disappointment, anger, sadness. All of it we can communicate on our face without saying a word. So Moses looks at God and says, God, I've got to know that you're with me. And I've got to know that you're with us. Because if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And God, I don't want just the promise of your presence. And I don't just want the promise of your person. I want to be able to see your face. To see the approval. To see the joy. To see the promise face to face. And God says, Moses, I hate to tell you, son. No. I'll let all my goodness pass before you. And when you look out, you can see my backside. But my face, you cannot see. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer tells us something that's very important and very key to the whole understanding of the gospel. He says that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the exact representation of the glory of God. That Jesus 
is the face of God. If you've ever wondered what Jesus or what God thinks about you, if you've ever wondered what, he, what his thoughts are, if he's disappointed in you or if he's uh, excited about you, if you've ever wondered how God thinks about you, the only thing you need to do is look in the face of Jesus Christ. Because the full representation of the glory of God the very essence of who God is, is on the face of Jesus Christ. Now with that thought in mind, open your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 8. I want to read a story about Jesus this morning. As we read, I just want to lift up a few things and then we're going to continue our prayer team. We're going to continue with the plan at the end. We're going, to still, we're going to have communion here in just a few minutes. But it's going to take on a whole different meaning for some of you, I believe. John chapter 8, verse 40. Jesus is, is walking. Luke, I'm sorry. I said John. I've got John on the brain. Luke chapter, thank you, whoever said that. Luke, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned... A crowd welcomed him. Jesus had been on a, a, a trip. Jesus walked a lot. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is all over the map. He's going from this town to that town. And, and crowds follow this man. The, Jesus cannot get a moment alone because the crowds swarm him. Jesus returned. A crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house. Jairus is a fairly important person in the scheme of things. He's not just anybody. This is a very important person. And he comes because, verse 42, his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So there stands Jairus, completely brokenhearted, completely desperate for God to do something amazing. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my little girl, she's 12 years old and she's dying. She needs some, she needs some help, Jesus. Can you, can you come by and see her? She's, she's dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. The crowds are swarming. People are all around Jesus just trying to get a glimpse of this, of this man, just trying to get a glimpse of this teacher, just trying to get a, a glimpse of this person who, who's made all these great claims and who, who people are talking about and, and crowds are following. Everybody's just trying to get a peek at who Jesus is. Verse 43, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now the little girl's 12. And now this woman's had this disease, kind of, kind of sickness for 12 years. So there's, a little, there's something going on here, something behind the scenes. There's a corollary. When this, woman, when, when, when this woman started her sickness, is the same year that this little girl was born. Luke's... Luke's pulling these two stories together to illustrate something to us about Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. For 12 years she had gone to the doctor. 
They couldn't do anything for her. She had taken medication. She had, she had gone for different appointments. She had seen different specialists. She had tried uh, different kind of therapies, homeopathic therapies. And she had tried the medicine of her day. And she had tried to, to seek out different doctors. And nobody could help her. Nobody could bring healing to her body. Nobody could be, nothing could be done for her. She was completely and totally without hope. Goes on to say, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. That's interesting. So here's this woman, crowds all around Jesus. He's passing by her. And she's so concerned. And she's so, she understands who she is and the problem that she has. In that day and time, she would be considered unclean. She would not be allowed to approach Jesus from the front. She would not really be allowed to approach Jesus at all. And so she does the only thing that her mind can come up with is, I'll approach him from behind. I'll approach him from his backside. I'll come at him from the direction that he can't see me. And I'll come at him from the direction where I don't have to look into his face. I'll come at him from behind. So she, she approaches him. And she reaches her hand out and touches the edge of his cloak. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. Why? Because she came in contact with the glory of God. The glory of God that can bring healing to someone that no doctor could bring healing to. It's the glory of God that can bring restoration to a body that knows no restoration. The glory of God that can bring hope to a hopeless situation. She approaches him from behind, and from behind there's enough power in the person of Jesus Christ to bring healing to a broken body. Then Jesus says, who touched me? Which is a completely idiotic question. And his, his, his followers say that much. Who touched me, Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. That's another way of saying, come on, Jesus, everybody's touching you. You're almost crushed. Who's, who's touching me? What are you talking about, Jesus. He touched you, and she touched you, and I've touched you, and they touched you. The, the crowd is swarming around you, Jesus. That's a, that's a dumb question. It's a stupid question, Jesus. Who touched you? Peter's a little, little ticked off. Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. She still can't look at his face. She still can't bring herself to look at him eye to eye, to look at the, 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 the countenance that's on his face because she doesn't exactly know what she's going to see. She has done this audacious thing. She has done this daring thing that everyone would be completely and totally abhorred by. 
Not only did she get in the crowd with this, with this sickness, not only did she reach out and touch a holy man with this sickness, she did it from behind. She wouldn't even approach him in the face. She doesn't know exactly what he's going to say to her. Doesn't know how she's going, he, he's going to take it. So she falls at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told him why she had touched him and how she had instantly been healed. So she's, she laid it all on the line. She's kneeling down. Her face is, is, is buried into the dirt. It probably got tears flowing out of her eyes and the tears are making a mud puddle at Jesus' feet and, and her tears are probably hitting Jesus' feet and she can't look up at him. She just tells him, look, Jesus, I've been sick for 12 years and nobody could help me and nobody could, could give me an answer and nobody could bring healing and I just, I'm just so desperate, Jesus. And I know what I did was, was not socially acceptable. And I know what I did was against the cultural norm. But I had to have some relief, Jesus. And I believe that you have the power to heal. That's why I reached out to you. And I was afraid to approach you from the front. So I approached you from behind. I was afraid of what you would say. And I was afraid of the look on your face. And right now, Jesus, I can't even look at you. My face is buried into the ground. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, I imagine that when Jesus does this, her, she, she has buried her, her, her face at his feet. Imagine when Jesus says this, he stoops down, takes her by the chin, lifts her face to look at his so that he can communicate not just with words but with the countenance of his face to look at her and say, daughter, not sinner, not disease-ridden woman, not outcast, not how dare you, not what makes you think you're worthy of this, not anything but that. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in the knowledge that everything is all right between you and God. Go in the, the understanding that everything is good between you and God. Go in the knowledge, not just that you got healed, but you can stare at the face of the living God and be in peace. The story goes on to say, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. It was that woman took too much time. She stopped Jesus. Now your daughter died. She's gone. Don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus, we had faith when she was just sick, but she's dead now. Jesus, we know you can heal the sick, but we're dealing with a dead person now. So this, this is probably more than you can handle, Jesus. 
This is more than your glory can, can sustain. This is more than the power that you have available to you. She was sick and we thought you could help, but now that she's dead, don't even bother. We believe in you for healing. We're not real sure about resurrection. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. I guess they took her pulse. As they have one of those little cardiogram machines. Is that what they're called? I'm not sure. Little heart monitors beside her bed. Jesus, she's not asleep. She's dead. The interesting thing about Jesus, you know how easy it is to wake somebody up, like if they're asleep, unless they're like my son, and you got to like shake and ah, wake up. You know how easy it is? You just shake them a little bit. Hey, wake up. Oh, what? That's how easy it is for Jesus to raise somebody from the dead. This is what he says. He said, don't worry, she's not dead. She's just asleep. To me, in my power, she's just asleep. I'll just shake her a little bit. She'll wake up. And, and he does. But he took her by the hand. Meaning she's in the bed. He reaches down and he takes her by the hand. And he looks at her. And he says, my child, get up. Her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. You see the interesting thing about these two stories. They're both, both involved the number 12, so they're related in somehow. They're both about somebody who's sick or, or dead. They're both without hope. They're both at the very end of what they could come to. They're both looking at their situation and saying, Oh, gosh. What do we do? You ever been there? You ever been there where you've, you've been going through the same thing time and time again? You've been sick for years. Maybe it's you've been sick emotionally or you've been sick physically. Maybe you've been sick in your mind for years and years and years and nobody can help and there's no hope. And you've tried church before. You tried the church thing and it just didn't work. And you were still st- still struggling with that addiction and you tried to to give it to God and and you tried to let go but in the, in the moment of of crisis or in the moment of pain you gave back into that temptation you've been sick for years and some of you are like that this morning you're sick there's something not well with you there's something not whole in your life. It might be physically. It might be emotionally. It might be between you and your wife, you and your husband. Your relationship just is not, you're, you're, you're not working on the same page. It might be in your mind. It might be a temptation. It might be a struggle, a sin. You just can't get any relief. You can't get anything that's actually helping you. And then there are others of you. 
You've been sick, and the sickness has really just turned into death. It's really just turned into death. And it's not just that you don't have any hope, but the situation's over. It's ended. There's a finality to death. Up until the point where she died, they thought they had hope that she would recover. But when she died, they said, well, shoot. Nothing else can be done. See, some of you are at the point where, where the only hope you have is if God steps in and brings healing. But others of you are at the point where, shoot, everything's already done. I've already blown it. I don't even have a chance. I'm completely without hope because the thing is dead. And it's dead, dead, dead. Really dead. Like we checked on her, dead. Not asleep, Jesus, dead. This dream in my life, Jesus, it's dead. This vision that I have for my life, it's dead. The, the, the hope that my family is going to give their lives to you, Jesus, it's dead. My marriage, Jesus, it's dead. Completely without hope. Completely without chance. Completely without the opportunity for survival. It's dead. But what we see in the stories... This is good. You don't have to approach Jesus from behind like Moses did. You don't have to wait for the goodness of God to pass by, to peek your head around the corner to see the backside of God. Because Hebrews tells us that the very representation of the being of God, the very radiance of the glory of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus will take a little, a little woman who's been sick for 12 years and lift her face up off the ground and look at her eye to eye and say, everything's alright with you girl... And if he'll go into the house of a dead little girl and take her by the hand and lift her to life and say, give her something to eat because she's hungry, then you are not without hope because the face of Jesus is ready to shine upon you this morning. It's in Jesus that we see the very radiance of God's glory. So when we sing this morning, let the light of your face shine down on me. It's completely biblical. It's saying, Jesus, would you shine down? Jesus, you are the glory of God. And with the glory of God comes everything we could need. It's not just your presence and it's not just your person. It's the very essence of who you are. And Jesus, if you will manifest yourself in my situation, it might be hopeless, it might be done, it might be dead. But if you will just show your glory, there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. Because Jesus lets people approach him. From the front. And even when you try to sneak up behind him, even when you're so uh, lacking in self confidence and self esteem, even when you're sure that your sin and your disobedience has disqualified you from the calling of God on your life, so you try to approach him from behind, Jesus stops the whole crowd and says, Ah, uh-uh, somebody touched me, and we're going to find out who it is because I don't let people come up from me and touch me from behind because my grace allows them to see me face to face. 
this morning, I want to tell you, it's not too late. You're not unworthy. You, you have done nothing that the grace of God cannot heal you from, forgive you for, and transform your life out of. You have done nothing to be dead beyond recovery. There's hope for you because Jesus is the fullness of the glory of God. And Jesus forever and all eternity said exactly what he thought about you. Time and time again in the Gospels, people approach him and he turns and he looks at him, looks at him in the face. They're, they're accusing the woman of adultery and he stops everybody and he looks at her and he says, go and sin no more. He, he's always has, he, he has this habit of bringing in the people who everybody else has given up on. Even when he's brought them in and they make a mess of things like Peter did. Jesus has a way at the end of the Gospel of John. Peter blew it. Denied Christ. Said, I won't. And he did. And he blows it. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? You can imagine Peter is completely shocked and, and will barely even look at Jesus in the face because he's so scared of what the countenance of his face will look like. And when he opens his eyes, there's Jesus standing saying, do you love me? Peter, I'm not ashamed of you. This morning, if you'll look at the face of Christ, you won't see disappointment. You won't see disapproval. You won't see condemnation. You'll see the loving countenance of the person who can heal you and forgive you and restore you and make all of the dreams and all of the words that people spoke about you when you were a little boy or a little girl, he can make all of them become a reality. Because Jesus is totally good and totally cool with people looking at him in his face. Because when you look at him in his face, he says, everything's all right between you and God. Because I did the ultimate. I did the final thing. I did the thing that no one else could accomplish. And I made, a, made it possible for you to have a right relationship with God. When I came and was born into flesh, when I gave my life on the cross, and when I was resurrected, and now I'm sitting beside the Father. And when the Father looks at you, he turns and looks at me and he sees my face and my approval on your life. Jesus wants to change you and transform you this morning. Jesus wants to save you. Some of you thought you don't have any hope left. Some of you, you came because, because a friend invited you and you thought, well, shoot, I'll give this a chance. Some of you, this might be, you've already decided, this is, your this, is my last, uh, this is my last try. I'm going to try it one more time. Matter of fact, some, somebody, you came into this, this auditorium thinking, this is really my last try. After this, I'm just going to give up on the whole Jesus thing. And God has stopped the entire plan that we had in place so that you would hear me say, he has not given up on you. 
He has not given up on you. The countenance of his face is shining on you. And his grace will make a difference in your life. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.